There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show. It's great to be back for another week. I've got another fantastic guest again this week, Brandon Hatton. Uh, We're going to be talking about conscious wealth. And uh, if you ever think about your own finances, this is going to be a show for you. I would recommend that you you join us with a piece of paper and um, our book and make some notes because hopefully there will be an idea, a gem today, which will really make a difference to you. Uh, moving forward. Uh, on last week's show, I want to say a big thank you to Peter Kelly Detweiler. Um, I loved talking to Peter last week. We talked about uh, the energy switch, which was a, an unusual um, topic um, for us. Um, however, I want to bring to you, you know, the key kind of trends around the world and those things which are making a difference to our planet right now. And um, I found the conversation just fascinating, understanding um, about this massive revolution that's occurring across the globe. Uh, Peter described it as the the biggest change in 100 years across the globe, which is the way the infrastructure is shifting around uh, around energy. And of course, we're, you know, electric cars and uh, moving to to more sustainable energy forms and things like that are impacting and going to impact uh, both businesses and you personally. Um, So um, really, really um, great feedback on the show last week. Now, on today's show, I want to talk about something which I think is, is really important. And as you know, you know, we do aim to be a very kind of conscious show. I'm very mindful that uh, the show is about kind of elevating our thinking, elevating our businesses and, and doing things in a kind, conscious way and uh, helping to, uh, to appreciate that business can be done really well and things can be done um, for good. And we, contrib- we have a big contribution to play to a better world. And my guest today, Brandon Hatton, um, is somebody who can really help us with doing that. And uh, he is a, um, he's a, a, a financial advisor. He has a, a wealth um, um, practice. And we're going to start talk about kind of key questions today, which is like things like, when is it? I mean, how much is enough when it comes to wealth? And what impact do you want your money to have? And, and what's your relationship with wealth and those kinds of things? Now, Brandon Hatton is an expert at portfolio creation and wealth maintenance, um, but he utilizes conscious wealth practices. Uh, Brandon specializes in particular in family dynamics around multi-generational wealth and advising clients on how to use their financial assets, but also to make a positive societal impact. Um, Therefore, he's helping clients with investments, but also philanthropy. He's traveled around the world many times, a very, very fascinating um, background. He's based in Atlanta at at the moment. Um, And he's written a book called Conscious Wealth, which is published by Conscious Capital Press, um, which um, Corey Blake, who's been on the show a couple of times ago, who is the founder of Conscious Capitalism Press. He recommended uh, that I should talk to Brandon, and I can see why. Um, now, I've had a look at the book, and I've got to be honest, I'm really taken with it. I love the way 
that Brandon's used his life and his stories to take us through the journey of wealth and to get us think about what's really, really important. What's really important that we get right and we, we deeply think about what's our relationship with money? How do we change that relationship, which might be linked to our experiences in childhood? Um, and uh, how do we look forward? How do we contribute to a better world through uh, the wealth that we have as well? Uh, so I'm very excited to uh, well, introduce to you today, Brandon Hatton. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, you're very welcome indeed, Brandon. And um, I, I couldn't help be quite sort of bowled over by you, know, you talking in your book about your childhood and, and and your life growing up. And I could see, you know, one or two relationships with my own as well. And tell us a bit about what life was like growing up for you. And were there any, you know, any key moments? I know there was one in particular, but that led you to, you know, to your um, passion for thinking consciously about wealth. Yeah, yeah. I, I call these our money memories. These memories that we have in money, we all have them. In fact, I, in fact, I sometimes the first question I ask a future or prospective client is, "What was your first memory of money?" And and these mem- money memories really can add up to what we what we how we see money today. For me, growing up, money was scarce, or at least and. Look, I'm about to say, I don't know if it was scarce, um, but the impression I got was that it was scarce. And that was re- that's really the point of it, is that I grew up in a family of four kids in four years. So like on this side of the pond, we call it Irish quadruplets. Like we were just, it was a full <laughs> household. I was the youngest and I was always, I was always battling to make sure I was taken care of because I didn't think there would ever be enough if I didn't fight for myself for it. And, and whether it was food, um, sitting in the front seat, I guess was probably a big thing or, or um, you know, I think, and you asked me, like, I brought up this point of like money memories. Like one of my biggest money memories as a kid is when I got a teddy bear for Christmas, but it was past the age where a boy wanted a teddy bear. And I felt horrible and I didn't know how to tell my parents I didn't want it because I know they spent money on it. And I knew we didn't have a lot, right? And so those, 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 that idea of scarcity really stuck with me for a while. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I had similar experiences as a child as well and uh, never really taught money, but it, things, were, things were tight. I realized that my father was a steel worker and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I guess I remember a similar kind of story with a with a teddy bear, actually. Mine being all very threadbare and feeling quite guilty when I, you know, my parents decided they needed to buy me a new one. <laughs> but uh, interesting, yeah, yeah. And you felt uh, what was your? How did you? How did you feel with that experience at the time? Like when they wanted you to buy, they wanted to buy a new one. Well, they they did actually. I think probably there was also there was also a bit of tension that I wanted. I was quite happy to keep the threadbare one, but uh, um, yeah. But, but I knew, yeah, I knew, I knew money was um, was fairly tight. There was also these you know words like money doesn't grow on trees. You know those yeah. sorts of words. I was very much associated and uh, and and uh, you know one of our kind of neighbours got a posh a nice car and it's all the the rich people live there and there was quite a lot of negativity about about being wealthy. Precisely. Yeah. When I grew up, well, when I grew up in there, we didn't have a lot of money in pretty much everyone on my street was more or less in the situation as that. But I really wanted, I, 
a new, I remember a new, a new girl came into our school and she had money. Her family had a tanning salon and apparently these things were money makers in the eighties and everyone made fun of her because she was rich. Like there was like this resentment against it, but there was also this real desire to one day have that. And I, I really spent, I spent my childhood and adolescence dying to be rich one day, knowing that was my plan. <laughs> I think I also, my, my, my mom was actually, I've, I've, I've learned, my mom was very wise with money and although there wasn't huge amounts coming in over the years. She just very carefully kind of managed it and now has a, you know, a, a comfortable, a comfortable, really comfortable life actually. And she, she, you know, she did that very painstakingly, you know, it's really just moving money around slightly bit more interest here and there, um, not yeah. taking much risk with it. But uh, I do, you know, I do ad- admire that. that yeah. She did that. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. and, uh, and, 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 um, I mean, one of the, if you don't mind me, me mentioning, I mean, one of the things that happened in your childhood, you lost your brother and I found that quite moving. And, you know, how did that impact you? Yeah, that's, uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't, it was early adolescence. I was, I was 20 years old when it happened. And that was a pivotal moment for me because I was in college and I went to college with an accounting degree. I, I went to study accounting. I went in the business school because I, I remember myself saying this and I really believed it. If you, did, if you studied anything but business, you were a fool. I like just thought that the purpose of money was to make a ton of it. And like, that's why you're going to schools to make more of it. And when, when my brother died, two things happened. Um, one, I, I came up with the idea in my head I don't know if it was true, but I came up with this idea that we didn't have enough money to bury him. And that was very painful for me. That really upset me. Um, and um, again, I don't know if it was true and it doesn't really matter because I, I believed this. And um, I then dropped out of business school. I decided to become a teacher. Uh, and I decided to become a teacher because I wanted to save the world. I wanted to do all this good. But when I look back at it in hindsight, I also know that I was opting out of money. I was operating below money. I, I didn't want to play the money game. I didn't want to win the money game. And I suspect part of me thought I couldn't, or maybe I was disgusted by it, right? Or I, I bought into a lot of these ideas that money is the source of all evil. And I spent my first half of my career really opting out of money, living very, I mean, I had a great time but it was a bohemian mm-hmm. lifestyle. Um, I, I, I jumped from school. I eventually became an educator, jumped from school to school, uh, teaching in Egypt, Lebanon, and Brazil, uh, very freewheeling, but money was never, it was always enough, but it was never, I was never, I was never going to get rich doing it. And I didn't care, or at least that, that's what I told people mm. and myself. <laughs> I remember you, um, because you, you obviously you, you've, um, kind of lectured in these sorts of things as well, I believe. And I remember because of reading in the book, you were talking about, um, uh, you posed two questions, what, you know, ask what's the purpose of finance and what's the purpose of investment? And I thought it was quite interesting. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 So when I talk to students, that's like a little joke I play when I talk to <laughs> students, I'll say, you know, what's the purpose of finance? And I did that at a university here. Nobody could give me the answer. It was like make money or create loans or anything. And I'm like, no, the purpose of finance is the purpose of everything to make the world better. Like, how can we grow as, 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 a, as, a, as a species, I guess, as mankind? Yeah. Um, and they feel kind of 
cha- like chastised. And then I say, well, what's, <laughs> what's, the, what's the purpose of investing? And somebody raises their hand and they're like, to make the world a better place. And I'm like, no, not really. It's just to make money, right? Like, and that's <laughs> the joke. Like, and the way that you make money in investing, uh, among other things, is investing in companies that you speak of on, on, on your show, more than profit, um, you know, as you said, contributing to a better world, because long term, uh, these are the companies that'll be around and, and investing is a long term game. We know that. Yeah. Well, what was it with you? So you mentioned about being a student and uh, and in, earlier in your life, you didn't really, you money didn't grow on trees and all these kinds of things going on in your your mind. So and maybe there wasn't the belief there that you could accrue great wealth. Was, this, was there a kind of a moment that, or, or an exercise for you that enabled you to change your association with money and then move forward and, uh, and, and begin to acquire it? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. Um, and um, we haven't spoke of this. So this was, so again, it, these moments uh, of transforming your vision around money are usually oftentimes around health. Um, and I find that because um, that's when you realize what's really important. Uh, in, that, in my case, when I shifted from not wanting to be in the money game or being below money is when I, I, was, I, came home, I came home to the United States and I didn't realize how sick my father was and how badly he needed to sell the restaurant. He, we've had a restaurant in our family for 50 years. We had a restaurant for 50 years. And um, he needed to sell the restaurant to just come out of it without, it was, he couldn't work any longer. His health was bad. And so I decided, well, I guess I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll help him run this restaurant. And I ran it for six months, which was like complete cultural whiplash because I was down in Brazil. I was doing photography work at the time. I was in the South working with like, um, studio photography, models and such. And now I'm in like Cleveland, Ohio at his Jewish style deli, flipping burgers and like running deliveries and going, it was just, but the whole experience of doing that and seeing that my father um, was retiring in not a good place, like financially or in health, did a lot of good for the city, took care of a lot of people. He always ran his business with integrity, but he didn't come out ahead. And so I asked him, dad, how did this happen? You know, like, because you're a smart guy. And, and he said, well, Brandon, when I was your age, it was about the age of like 33, I think I was at the time. He said, I had to take a risk. I had to take a risk and I should have moved out to the city when the demographics of my restaurant and the city around my restaurant were changing. And I didn't, I just kept on iterating and iterating and iterating until it was too late. And I went back to Brazil at the time because we sold the restaurant. His health got better. He's fine now. He's great now. And um, I realized like I have to take like a really big chance too. Like I have to kind of get back into this game or I'm going to end up like this. And so for some reason in this like wild, foolish gesture, I like figured, well, I might as well get in the money business. That's, that's where you make money. And, and I started in financial, uh, uh, as a financial advisor or in financial services. And you've got your own own sort of practice now, haven't you? Now, but it didn't start yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no. It started. I was. I was. Um, I was. I was. I mean, I was working. I was so into becoming successful. I went all in on this. Like, I've got to make money. That um, I fell into a lot of the common pitfalls that many people do in this in this wealth journey. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'd like to in the in the book you share you share a number of questions for people to ask to sort of understand their relationship with money. Um, and it was I think there was um, you you mentioned there that you I think you bought a very expensive bottle of of champagne or something like that. Um, yeah to try and uh, shift you in terms of maybe that um, limited mindset. And, and I thought that was quite funny because I remember realizing that myself with my Northern, Northern roots and managing money very carefully. And then there was a point in time where I did have money and I remember needing to shift my state of mind. I was in a, in a um, restaurant up in Newcastle in the North of England with uh, about a dozen people and they bought a load of champagne uh, from the bar and I decided to buy it and pay for it, and and that was a a little bit of a little bit of something left me there, a little bit of resistance to spending. Yeah, that experience. Yeah, because you can't change the past, but what you did was like prove to yourself, like I can I can spend this, I can do this, and you start to reshape that story. That's that's lovely that you noticed that that it kind of left you with that with that with that spend. And, and and you've got a you've got a we've got a couple of minutes to a commercial break now. But you've chosen to write this book called Conscious Wealth. And what are the problems that this book really addresses for people? I think the biggest problem that it addresses is um, it is so hard to figure out how much, as, as you mentioned, how much is enough. Mm. <laughs> That question is so hard to, and, and I think something we should come, we, we definitely should get because after the break. We're going to talk layered, about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a layered question. And, and if you can't answer that question, you know, um, conscious wealth doesn't exist and, and life doesn't really begin. I don't think. Yeah. So I always remember, I think it was um, after the last sort of financial crash, there was somebody I'd read about and he'd been, I think he'd been worth something like about, um, so let's say four four million dollars, something like that. And he'd lost two of them in the crash, and he jumped off a skyscraper, and he still got two. <laughs> I mean, yeah, shouldn't laugh, but it he still got two, and and it it is a really important question, that isn't it? How much how much is enough? Because I, I don't know, I don't know myself. Uh, you know, am I am I wealthy? Am I not? You know, it's, it's, it's a question we don't necessarily find easy to answer. So we'll have a look at that, that after the break. And now we'll have a look at the, the several different sort of conscious wealth levels for, I think, that you identify in the book. And maybe we can just uh, sort of just overview uh, those as well so people get uh, a sense of, uh, of the, the bigger picture here. So we'll be back again with you all in just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America. 
America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Brandon Hatton, and we're talking about conscious wealth. And um, we, before the break, we, we, we started to talk about um, questions like uh, how much is enough. Um, before we answer that question, though, Brandon, you in your book, you identify, I think, four consciousness, sort of conscious wealth levels you describe them as. Do you want to just give us the top line overview of what each one of those are so people can see that bigger picture? Yeah, sure. On top line level, there's four, there's four of them. Um, the first level is abundance. So what, what I mean by that is in, in the first level, you can transform money that you have into a sense of abundance. And, and we typically, I would say that I would know that is, there's a knowing that you have a sense of abundance when you can say something like, I, I have enough, right? Like not, uh, I, um, I never need to make more, or I won't make more money, but there's, there's a, a decrease in fear around money. The, the second level is purpose. So you can transform your money into purpose. You can transform your money into, um, into really bringing yourself back to who you are and, and who you were meant to be. Uh, and that level is punctuated by an affirmation of, I, I am enough, right? I am enough to spend on myself. I'm worthy of spending on myself and my purpose is enough. Uh, the third level is uh, around um, impact. Um, and and, it, and it's, you start to call into question, you know, can I, can I really ever be successful if other people aren't successful around me? How can I transform my money? And this is a lot of what your show talks about into impact of others. And it doesn't have to just be giving it away. It could be through business, for example, or investing. Uh, and then the highest level, and, and, and is oftentimes aspirational, is you start to wonder, do I, do I have anything, right? Is this really my money? Or am I just a custodian of it? And I can transform this money to create unity in the world as opposed to division. So that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the framework that's very fluid uh, and is um, at times very well cemented for people and sometimes aspirational. It's, it's, it goes back and forth. I mean, that's quite, quite, quite interesting. The way that you, you know, as a, as a financial person, uh, you know, you, you have taken a very conscious approach about this, which is not 
always the case because it seems, I think you mentioned it in your book, that financial advisors often play on fear and fear and lack in, um, in you know, signing, up, uh, signing up clients. Um, but I was just um, very mindful. There was somebody I, I knew. I can't, I've got to be honest. I can't say I particularly liked him. And he passed away fairly recently and, and uh, he didn't never seemed a very happy man, but at his funeral, apparently they played um, a song, money, money, money by ABBA it was people when people walked into the church and they just talked about um, how he had made so much money and owned lots of properties and had owned a, owned a, a sizable company, but there was very little in there about what a kind person he'd been and what a, what a nice person he'd been and how he'd, positively impacted other other lives it was more about the fact that he'd had this ability to make money but but actually now he's gone it was transient really he didn't really own it did he he didn't own it i so if 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 you believe that so we talk about how much is enough that's a hard question but how much is too much i find is easy because i know who has too much and that's like that is dead people. Like dead people have too much. <laughs> you have no need for it anymore. And so in his case, it, um, that's too much. And um, if you can't take it with you, um, then is it really yours? Um, mm. And, and mm. if it's not, then it's not my, if it's not mine, but it may be my responsibility to make sure that I'm taking, that I'm using it to the betterment of of mankind. Yeah. So let, let's answer that question then. How much is enough? Yeah. Um, and hmm. what's really hard about that question, and I spent a whole book helping people answer it and me answering it for myself. But what's really hard about that question is there's this common definition out there and I've seen this definition. I mean, it's even common. I see it oftentimes in like churches or pastors will say it is that money is a tool to live a certain lifestyle. And um, although I don't disagree with that wholeheartedly, the problem with that definition is that lifestyles are, can expand like the horizon. You, <laughs> I, when I first started working in financial services, I said, gosh, if I just had you know, this type of car and this type of house, I would, I would never need any more. And then you get that and you're like, well, I want more and I want more and I want more. So, so the, that definitely, what I, in order to determine how much is enough, um, a lot of it is going back to some of these money memories that you have, some of these beliefs you have right now about money and seeing, are they true? Do they serve you? Could they be partly true? Can I reshape them with buying a round of champagne for a bar? Um, and that'll help you approximate um, your definition of enough. Um, because if it's just lifestyle, it, it's never going to be enough. Hmm. Hmm. It, it's, I, I found it interesting in your book. I know you love sailing and, uh, and you have a, I think you describe it. You've got a sort of one man kind of yacht <laughs> um, but then, um, what you what you do is you uh, you you chose to choose to rent a bigger one when you need it, rather than buy one. Because if you bought one, it would be I, I'm getting a sense it would restrict your freedom. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, your it's, lifestyle, negativity. I have a, uh, yeah, that's true. I have a 14-foot, uh, it's actually, a, we, it's a dinghy. It's a one-person sailing boat. And um, I love this boat. I mean, I absolutely love this boat. It, and um, what's interesting about it is when we talk about transforming money to purpose. So when I got to a point where I said, hey, I, I've got enough. It's not means I'm not going to make any more, but like, I don't have to worry about money anymore. I went ahead and bought this boat. And when I spent money on this boat, which it's like a, it's a, it's a high end racing single person sailboat. I was investing in my purpose. And what I mean by that is that um, it brings out my truest self. When I'm on the water, I don't have a phone. I'm oftentimes with my friends. I've sailed out to the Florida Everglades on that thing alone. I'm pushing my limits. I'm one with nature. I'm myself. So that's, that's transforming money into, um, in, into purpose. And incidentally, it's also healed a lot of the damage that I've done um, to myself and my relationship with myself when I was earning money. Mm. So, so it's, um, it, it, uh, and, and it, it's sometimes interesting, isn't it? It's, it, it? Sometimes the, I think you talk about this, this little analogy about a tree, yeah, and, uh, but you you talk about being versus doing sometimes. Uh, just just being actually can give you more pleasure than spending huge amounts of money. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> My friend says this to me all the time. We're human beings, not doings. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. so you you actually don't always need to be to, you know to be spending enormous sums or accumulating enormous sums to to lead a fulfilled life. I mean, one thing that COVID taught me or just really helped me real, it reminded me that we want to feel alive and connect. I want to feel alive and connected. And I can do, and and I think what I, pre COVID, I was like, well, I want to feel alive and connected. I'm, and I'm going to go to a restaurant. And, And when that was taken away from me, and then I started going back, a lot of times I don't feel alive and connected sitting down for a half an hour spending all of this money, sorry, half an hour, three hours, three hour meal, spending all of this money and uh, feeling kind of stagnant. Um, And we have access to feeling alive and connected with a lot, spending a lot less money. And and likewise, then what that means is that I may not have to work as hard, (laughs) right? Or I can work at something that doesn't provide me as much financial return as I may not need it. Mm. Mm. I, I'm not a really, I, I don't drink a lot of alcohol. In fact, I've got a little medical condition at the moment, which means I'm not drinking anything right now. And I was sitting on a, went into a, a bar with some friends a few weeks ago and watched them slowly get more and more drunk. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it made me, made me, in that moment, just observing them, it was funny for a while. Um, but what I realized is that I'm so much more alive on my bike cycling with a friend uh, than I am sitting in a bar spending lot, needing to spend lots of, lots of money <laughs> um, and yeah. getting, getting slowly drunk. It's, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. So I don't know when or if this ever happened, but I just imagine like bars at one time being a living room where you're sitting around with family and you have yeah. a drink or two and leave to, I'm going to spend five hours there. And it's, <laughs> there's no, yeah, I could see that. It doesn't, and, and getting on your bike is an investment in your purpose, right? Like 
I'm, I'm, bikes aren't cheap. Um, they're a luxury to have if you if you've got something that'll keep you your yeah. your your body in good shape and and, and safe. And um, but it's an investment in you. Oh, it is, and it makes me very very happy um, being on that on that bike. And um, you know, I feel I feel alive with it, and you're getting exercise at the same time, which is which is good for you. So, how do you? How do you help families to get clear on their purpose when it comes to helping them with their relationship with wealth? Yeah. Um, so a lot of times families, like we attract families sometimes that have everything. Um, they have a very strong vision of it and we're just creating a framework for it. So they know um, uh, they've had discussions as families as how they'd like to impact the world, what they stand for. They might just not have it on paper. And they don't have it implemented into an investment, an estate, a tax, an inheritance plan, all of that. And um, we can do that. What I think is also equally interesting, though, and maybe more of what you're asking is when families don't have that, and that's oftentimes more more common. No family is perfect, of course. Uh, and you know, I spoke of before that destruction. Well, destruction always accompanies um, a form of creation. Like, and, mm. and so that is naturally true for wealth creation. Something gets destroyed. In my case, it was my health. Uh, it was my sense of self, my relationships with my friends and my girlfriend. And I, I had to rebuild that. And a lot of times in, in how that manifests in families can be contentious divorces. It can be estrangement. Um, it can be substance abuse and, and somebody will, and, and, and what's missing, like finding that purpose, which I should say is that we work with families in those types of situations and what's, when they're looking to define their purpose, they, the first step is really defining what, what are their needs, um, and creating more communication around what their needs are. Uh, and, and if we can get, um, if we can, if we can, if we can allow people to state their needs individually and then as a unit, more often than not, we can find an intersection of those. Um, mm. And that's really the beginning, because those families also want to make a very positive impact on society, and they have work internally that they want to do privately to be able to um, to be able to make that outward impact. We we uh, came up with a uh, a set of values and uh, a statement for our family. We sat wonderful. down. Yeah, we sat, wonderful. We sat down and created it. So I'm just look, I'm, I'm twisted around slightly, just looking at it. I should be able to remember it really. But we created some, uh, which the kids decided to call it the Super Cooper Family Value. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> so that's have, great. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's slightly more than I would I would have because the the, the kids that um, they wanted all of these, but we have kindness, health, teamwork, growth, love, and gratitude, and then mm-hmm. and then we have a statement we created, which was we really care about our family and home, yep. other people and the environment. Uh, we have great life experiences. We listen, learn from our mistakes, and work hard to become the best we can be. That is beautiful. And that's just like our Family Matters document or this document that we help when I talk about framing these purpose and values. What we, what we also add are goals. Um, do you have goals on yours as individuals and as a unit? Actually, actually uh, we don't. So that's, that would be quite a good addition to it, wouldn't it? It could be, yeah. 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 
I love that. And I also, when you tell me that, I think of the wealth that you're passing to your, to your children. Um, that's, that's the best form of multi-generational wealth um, uh, is, is, is that you can have those conversations and that they, they have that type of knowledge going into the world. That's a real gift. Uh, I, don't, I don't know whether they always, um, uh, as teenagers, really take, take it on fully. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's still wealth. <laughs> so it's, a refer- it's a reference point. I don't want us to sound like we are the perfect, uh, Nobody perfect does. family. No, but, they have, <laughs> but, you're, but you're communicating, and that is key. That's key. It's, and it's a reference point we can always come back to, which is, uh, Absolutely. Which is yeah. good. When, we, when things go off track, it's a nice mm-hmm. little a nice little reminder. Um, so t- how, do, how do people decide on the, the impact they want to make with their wealth? So we've got three minutes now, so we'll, uh, we can always come back to it after the break if we need to. But how do people decide on that? What, how do they want to impact potentially the world even beyond their families? Uh, it's almost always something, I mean, it is something that they're connected to. They've had some very positive yeah. or negative experience with it. Right. Um, I, I, I contribute a lot of, my, I, I don't want to say a lot, a lot of my focus of um, giving, whether that's through philanthropies or just businesses that work with some of these philanthropic issues is around food security. It's really important to me. I never missed a meal as a kid. I, I always didn't get what I wanted to eat, but I am passionate about food. And I do believe that it's, I mean, I, I know it's a human right. And so that's something that I, I support. And it's always something that we never, we, I don't need to suggest it. It's, it's already there. It's just making, just helping them find, helping people find it and locate it. I think we're going to a commercial break now. After the commercial break, we'll, we'll talk about unity and we'll talk about um, what, what happens when things get a bit sticky in the family um, around uh, money. So I'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, 
Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Brandon Hatton. We're talking about conscious wealth. And, and Brandon, um, let's talk about... Um, when it comes to that area of unity you talked about, tell us about how you advise clients uh, around this this concept. Explain what it means. And uh... absolutely, actually, let's jump back to level three, which would be impact. Uh, so, oh, yeah. How we, sure, yeah, yeah. So, how we how money can be. So, again, if you get to a point where you logically say, "I have enough," right? Then, what do you do with everything that's left over? And and we and I mentioned before. Well, well, you can spend that on purpose, purpose of yourself, purpose of your family. But that has its limits too. Like how many dinghies am I going to buy? Like I've got one boat. It's, it's great. Um, so then what's next? Like, so how can I transform money to create impact if I still have more? And I would argue that um, many people do, right? That this is uh, some of our clients who have very modest means are, are still doing this. And what I like about this level of impact, transforming money for impact, is we're still on the spectrum between having not enough like, and, or hoarding money or totally giving it away. There's an entire choice of options. It's not binary, save it in a bank or give it away. And this impact is on the middle of the spectrum where it's like, I can look at how my money is impacting society, how, it, how my business is impacting other people. And so I work very closely with the Conscious Capitalism Organization in the United States and in my local chapter, Atlanta. And there's a, uh, and, and you, uh, you've adopted and, and have integrated many of these beliefs. But in order to run a business consciously, what I argue is that you have to really get to the point where you believe you have enough. Maybe not every day, every second of every day, but more often than not, you have to have this knowing that you're going to be okay. And if you do have that knowing and you're running a business following these conscious leadership tenants that we have or stakeholder engagement, uh, it's, it's authentic. Um, and so business is, is, uh, is absolutely a way to make a positive impact. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've had many guests who've talked about stakeholder engagement, uh, leader, mm-hmm. how a leader acts within a conscious business, how you treat your employees, how you pay them. Um, and how you view your own compensation within a company. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, <laughs> there's such a need for this, isn't there, to, to become so much more conscious when we're running businesses. Uh, you know, I think it's, you know, they say, you know, people don't trust business. And uh, it's, it's no wonder, is it, when, you know, the, the leader of some of these large organizations might be earning 240, 50 times uh, the amount of the average employee's salary. I mean, it's just crazy. And and people at these levels, are, and I've heard a number of examples recently where people, the decisions are being driven by to, around maximizing the amount of cash that comes into the company. You know, all these principles of kindness and generally wanting to help and contribute, they're, they're often thrown out of the window, aren't they? Yeah, and so the conscious capitalism movement has really expanded alongside the size of these companies. When we had small and mid-sized companies, um, 
treating people right and working with your stakeholders was just was was absolutely necessary to survive. Um, you didn't pollute the town river because you lived in that town. Mm. Yet, yet it's the anonymity of these large organizations that allow them to um, allow them to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pretend maybe not the word that other people are faceless, that they, that they don't have consequences, or at least distance them from those consequences. Right? They're not sitting in the town diner, right, uh, and and seeing them, and so. Um, that this, these concepts have been around for a long time, but the size of these organizations um, allow that or can allow that. I had a bit of a, a, a few weeks ago, a surprise, which frustrated me um, when I noticed, noticed there's a, an organization over here. Uh, they're called Sports Direct, I'll, I'll name them. <laughs> Uh, and uh, they have a, an owner who's very known over here. I used to own Newcastle Football Club until recently. And, and there's a lot of negativity around the organisation. And uh, it was advertised on the, it was all over the front of the newspapers that his, his son-in-law, who's in his 30s, is taking over. And uh, if he hits certain parameters, he'll make a hundred million pounds bonus. And and what really frustrated me is they call, like his, his title is Chief Elevation Officer. <laughs> which um, we've been, I've been using the elevation uh, label for many years. It may just be um, a, a coincidence, but uh, I, I don't know. I just find that so outdated and so, so sad, really. It reminds me of, um, so I live in Atlanta and our football stadium here, they spend a ton of money here. And like with everything, it's nuanced. There's a lot of controversy around anything, any big project. But one thing that the um, one thing that they decided was they were going to price food within the stadium so that a family could go buy a, a meal. A family of four could get a meal for twenty dollars. Yeah, or or you could buy a beer and a half. You know, <laughs> but if you just mm. wanted food, if you just wanted food, you could do that. And I, I admire that decision. And uh, and they they you know normally the stadium model is let's maximize. Um, let's sell these spots to all these concessions for as much money as I can and pass that on to the people who support our sports teams. And they took a different model here, which was quite admirable. Yeah. And yeah, my, my club, actually, Leicester, they're very known for looking after people. This, this related actually to a, a, a chain of sports stores and things. They had a lot of, uh, lot of large um, retail as, as well. Interestingly, the football club has just been bought, bought by a Saudi Arabian sovereign fund, which is something we've talked about quite a bit on the show about, about sovereign funds. And that's, um, you know, raises all sorts of interesting questions. Suddenly money, money is, um, is uh, unlimited, but maybe cultural values might be different. So it's quite, quite interesting on that one. So do you um, find with, uh, with, with families when you're dealing with them, do you get involved with things like, um, you know, money and inheritance and things like that? Because these, so the, 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 the allocation and things like that, do you get involved in that at all? Because that, that can cause a lot of stress for yeah. families. Yeah, that's a natural segue to the, to the, um, to the highest levels of um, conscious wealth or consciousness around money. And that is um, realizing that it might not be yours. And the traditional model in society is, uh, or I'd say the most common model is, well, if it's not mine, I'll give it all to my heirs. And um, pragmatically, 
that may not be the best option or that may not be in their best interest. Uh, and then spiritually, you may start to question or one may start to question how are the children on the other side of town or on the other side of the world um, not needing this or would not serve them? So there's this belief of it's a tough world out there. I'm going to give my kids all the advantage that I can and um, that they will be my impact in the world. And then there's an opposing opposite, actually on the other side of the spectrum that says it's a tough world out there. I'm going to make the world a little bit easier I'm going to give all my money to charity and, and that my children will be in a better world. And, and obviously, along those two extremes are a lot of decisions that need to be made. And just as hard as how much is enough for me is the question, how much is enough to give my children? It's, uh, it's really, really challenging. Isn't it? I, I've got a, one of my um, can, sort of network who's earned a lot of money in his lifetime. I mean, very successful in his careers, but now there's so much money and it, it's got to go to the, the children. He's thinking actually with having several children, they're going to one, at least one of them is going to get divorced and the money is going to get split. And, and actually if I, if I give them all of this, then is there any incentive for them to, you know, be, make a success of their own lives? It's a really difficult difficult problem isn't it if you leave if you hoard and you leave a lot behind not saying he hoards but sure sure that's absolutely that is absolutely the crux of the question and like this idea that i've been talking a lot about these polarities and everything that exists in between one of the points between these extremes is giving it to them while they're alive and allowing them opportunities to learn from you uh and allowing them to fail uh and creating a pretty clear understanding over time what's coming their way. Because I would say that it's very disappointing for an heir after their parents have passed to learn that they, I don't think it benefits anyone to keep it all a surprise for somebody's entire life. It doesn't, you know, because mm. the, the heir could think I'm getting a ton, I'm getting little, and um, that could impact their their actions now. And so that, that's why, again, I keep coming back to this communication because there's no right form of action. Um, it, it's really just being able to communicate what your intentions are and preparing people for, for the actions that are coming their way. There seems to be a trend over here. I'm, I'm noticing quite a bit of um, adverts from various charities uh, uh, suggesting, you know, that people should give their, give their, um, their, their inheritance uh, to the charity, uh, and uh, you know, you get a give you inheritance to the charity, and uh, you get a fluffy dog or something like that. As really, as a, as a th <laughs> yeah, there's quite a, quite a bit of that going on, and I, and I, I you know, I have wondered sometimes seeing those adverts, and maybe also, you, you know, as we get a little bit older, maybe we, with with uh, some of us, our minds um, are not quite as clear as they they were when we were younger, and and I, I can imagine quite a few people being very upset by that and realizing that a you know a, a a charity for cats or dogs or something has uh, has gained their their parents what they thought was their rightful inheritance sure yeah i could i could see that for, for sure i think um there's also a reluctance to give to charity here um and the belief that charity is ineffective or or there's they go to there's this extreme that everything should be impact should be business oriented while in fact, some charities don't have business models 
for instance, disaster relief. There's no business model for disaster relief. You just need to you just need to help people when when these events happen. So um, there's that reluctance. But furthermore, instead of just giving it as an inheritance, again, giving it during your lifetime, allowing these organizations that or an organization that you believe in to sh- strengthen, much like your children, over time, so that if you do give them an outsized or any contribution in your passing, they're able to handle it. That's a good good um, plan. So we've just got a, a couple of minutes now till I need to wrap up. Um, so who, who just help us? Who's your ideal client? Um, you know, I, I like to work with people who I can make a very positive impact in their lives and their family dynamics. And it's somebody, even if it's one person in the family or the entire family who wants to make a positive impact. Um, wants to see their money do more than just make money. Of course, that's what we do. We invest, but they want to see, um, they want to create more family unity, make more unity in the world um, through a variety of means, whether it's investing or philanthropy or estate planning, all of that. Does that, does that answer the question? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah. I, yeah. I yeah. You, yeah. So in your, in your, um, do you work with people globally or just in the United States? I, everyone I work with has, is a, um, is, resides in the, typically resides in the U.S. Um, or has a residence here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. And do you, do you have a final message you'd like to leave us with today? Hmm. Well, an absence of like something, let's see. Um, that, that, um, that I have enough and that I, and that um, we all, we, if we can all get to a point where where we can let fear subside around money, life life really opens up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I think uh, I think this is a, t- a tremendous book. I've really enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I'd recommend people to check it out. You can find out more about the book at brandonhatton.com. The the book the book is available for purchase right now. It's, it's, it's launched. Uh, it's in pre sales. It is uh, so you can order it, and they ship uh, ten days from now. Excellent, excellent. Um, so yeah, going. I would recommend um, it's just one of those books that you you need to have really. If uh, if money is something, well, and your wealth is something you're thinking about, because uh, lots of questions in there as well that you can ask yourself. And uh, I do believe you know these things. Um, you you can pick up a lot, awful lot of uh, content and idea from a from a book. Um, often the best thoughts of somebody too. And then if you need um, specialist help, you can go and uh, access it as well. So once again, huge thank you to, to Brandon. Brandon, um, Check out brandonhatton.com. The book is Conscious Wealth. And uh, a thank you very much to uh, Corey Blake for introducing us. Really appreciate it. And on next week's show, um, I also have a book that is um, coming out. It's called Play the Game, um, How to Win in Today's Changing Environment. And it's a, it's a really interesting book in that it's collaboration with, um, with 17 other 18 leaders, actually. Um, a guy called Adam Strong, who's been on the show before, it was, he's kind of the brainchild of it. And he asked 17 people, uh, leaders, to, uh, to write a chapter uh, about what they felt was really important um, that we should know right now for, to help people who are stuck in their business and uh, maybe your business has plateaued. So we've done that. I think it's going to be a really big seller, actually, where where initial pre-sales are very, very exciting. And the book comes out on Wednesday, the 20th of uh, November. And on Friday next week, uh, we've got an interview with with a number of the um, co-authors, with Adam Strong himself, uh, with Branka van der Linden, 
Cal um, from Cyprus, Cal Vermoulin from South Africa, and also uh, the founder of uh, Skin HQ, which is a, a global health um, skin brand, uh, Haroon Dennis. So do join us for that interview next week. Uh, any questions or comments, send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Um, I'm sure if you, um, if you need a connection uh, with, with Brandon and you can't find him on LinkedIn and things like that, just let me know and uh, we'll, we'll pass your details across. Thank you. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.